Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, "Mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz, it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amwar a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amwar.style forward slash crystal. That is amwar.style A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoire today. This episode is sponsored by Byheart, and I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. 
Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Payne Show. Today we have in studio Max Licato, and I am really honored that he is here. And I told him ahead of time that I only have people on the show whose work or life or what they share has deeply impacted my life. And I actually have not read any of your books, but one, and then your newest book, which is really crazy. I'm probably one of the few people in all the world that has only read one. And the one that I've read was a children's book. And it was the story of Punchinello. Mm -hmm. And that book deeply, deeply impacted my life. And sometimes you you think a, a, a little children's book, but... It just that concept of, you know, that our maker, what he says about us, what he thinks of us, that is what should stick. And if you all have not read this book, we will link to it in the show notes. It is so powerful. But I have to tell you that, so I'm part of this discipleship program in our church. It's this nine-month intensive. And um, at the end of the discipleship program, we actually, um, all the women get together, we have this retreat. And every single year, we read that book. They read it aloud from the front. And then we talk about the dots and the stars. And they actually will put the dots and the stars on us and talk about like, what are those dots and what are those stars? And so that book has just had such a powerful impact. And I think it just goes to show how story impacts us in a deep way. And so I'm really excited to talk about your new book, You Were Made for This Moment. And as I started reading it, I just thought, he is such a good writer. I have got to read more books of <laughs> his, and you have a whole lot of books that you have I, written. I, I do. I'm, I'm pretty old. I'm pretty old. There's well, a funny story. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, Crystal, there's a funny story or an interesting story about that book, You Are mm-hmm. Special, that uh, is is I had agreed with the publisher to write, um, I think it was six children's stories. Mm-hmm. And and we're talking here about in the early 1990s. And I thought I had written six, but really I had written only five. And so I got a call from the publisher, uh, Lane Dennis, on a Monday. And he said, uh, Max, we're still waiting on that sixth story. And I uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, I've already sent you six. He said, no, you've only sent us five. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Well, I I, um, I'm, I was a pastor. I'm still a pastor. And we had, at the time, three small kids at home. I say that to say I was pretty busy. I just didn't have time to, you know, crank out a, another story. But they needed it by that Friday. So I kind of elbowed some stuff around and uh, on my schedule and blocked out Thursday afternoon. And it was due Friday. And so I just said, okay, today's afternoon job is to come up with a story. And that's the story I wrote. Wow. And and, and I like to share that story uh, because that has become certainly the most popular of any of the, of the children's books I've written. And I wrote it on assignment more than 
inspiration. Mm. And I like to share that story because sometimes uh, we think we, we can only do things when we're inspired. You know, we have to have this jolt from heaven to do something significant. Well, sometimes it's just, you know, keeping a promise and, 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 and God blesses that. We had no idea it would take off mm. and, and be such a well-received story. Uh, but that's, that's kind of how it happened. Well, I think that really plays into this book that you have written on the story of Esther, because she, there were things that she was assigned that she did. She had to show up and Mm -hmm. do things and she did them. And yet God used it in such a profound, powerful way that she could have never, ever dreamed never imagined or imagined. And Mm -hmm. how, just, I think everyone listening, how God can use those things that he's calling you to do, even though it might feel like, I just, I got to get this done because this is an assignment, mm-hmm. but you never know how he's going to use that for his glory. Before we dive into this book, though, I'd love for you, for the few people who maybe don't know the whole host of things that you have done and who you are, just introduce yourself to us. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm I'm still running for my parole officer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Max Lucado. I, um, I, I'm a Texan. I grew up in a, in a small West Texas town. I uh, became a follower of Christ in college. I uh, immediately signed up with some friends to be a missionary, which required that I needed to go to seminary. And so I ended up uh, routing through Miami, Florida, uh, to a church that would uh, help me uh, pay my way in Brazil. I spent a, I spent three years at that church. And then my wife and I, uh, who I met in college, uh, we moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And that's where we spent from 1983 to 1988. And that's really where I started writing. Mm. And then uh, came back to the, to the States uh, because my father had passed away while I was in South America. And uh, my mom, uh, I wanted, I needed to be closer to her. And so we found a church in San Antonio, Texas, that was looking for a, a pastor. And uh, at that time, uh, I had never pastored a church. I was 33 years old. Uh, they took a chance on me, and I'm still there. Mm, I'm still wow. there. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, ret- I'm 66 now. Uh, so I've been there 33, 34 years. And uh, I don't head up the staff anymore. I'm not we. I'm not what you'd call senior pastor. I'm what we call a teaching pastor. And so I preach twenty weekends a year, but I don't do any budgets or personnel and buildings. I'm very very happy to not be doing that anymore. Uh, but it was it's been a great run, great run. We have three daughters. We have uh, two grandchildren, and uh, and that's that's kind of it. That's kind of it. So I want to circle back to, you said you you met the Lord and then you kind of immediately signed up to be a yeah. missionary. Talk, yeah. talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Uh, you, you know, none of your listeners would want their teenage daughter to go out with a teenage version of Max Locato. <laughs> I, w- I was just a mess. I'm serious. I'm not overstating the case. I was a, uh, I was a heavy drinker. I was a fighter. I was a brawler. Uh, I hung out in nightclubs on weekends. Uh, my dad sent me to a college in Abilene, Texas, called Abilene Christian University, because uh, he knew I needed rehab. I mean, it was it was I was a mess, and it was through the the Bible 
that we had to take Bible courses at that college. And I don't know. I was raised in a family that went to church, but somehow I just missed grace and the forgiveness of sins and the promise of heaven, things that I cherish right now. Uh, somehow I just, they went over my head and I didn't get them. And by the time I was taught about God's love, I thought he could not love a jerk like me. Mm-hmm. And that was my honest reaction. And uh, it just took a while. And so once I believed that he could love a jerk like me, uh, I knew I needed to change peer groups because mm-hmm. I was not strong enough to change the rowdy guys that I was running around with. I knew that they would suck me back in or I would get sucked back into that life. And so I started hanging out with some guys who were all studying to be pastors. I mean, I was desperate. I really needed. So I I literally found a new group of friends and, and three of them were training to be missionaries and that caught my heart. And so that that's, I, I, I say within short order, I became a, you know, studied to be a missionary. It was probably six months, maybe a couple of semesters. Uh, but I, it, it was really a, a, a pretty dramatic turnaround for me. And then when you were in Brazil mm-hmm. is when you started writing. Yeah. How did that yeah. come to be? <laughs> no, that's a great question. Okay, so we get to Brazil, and we don't speak Portuguese well. We speak enough to order dinner, you know, but but we've got a lot of language study to do. So our first assignment uh, according to our denomination, was just to study Portuguese, study language. And so it was like being in language school uh, four to six or eight hours a day for a whole year, which is a wonderful way to learn a language, you know. But uh, I did not want to talk Portuguese at night. I was so sick of the language, you know, trying to conjugate verbs and and masculine and feminine and, and all of that that I barely understood anyway. So in the evenings, I thought I, I, I've always wanted to try take a stab at writing because I've loved books all my life, and so that's how that's how it happened. I, I, I began writing a book. I had actually written a bunch of papers in seminary and also at this little church I worked at in Florida. I took all of that and I compiled it into a manuscript and I mailed it out to fifteen publishers and fourteen rejections, and the fifteenth one said yes. And that's how that's how it began. I was still in Brazil. I was still a missionary, so I would write only in the evenings. And um, my first and second book I wrote between 10 p.m. and midnight uh, each night. And that was my idea. I could I could write that uh, during then. Of course, I was younger. Now I'm old. I couldn't do that. But when you're 25, 26 years of age, you know you have that stamina. And and so that's how it start how it's how it all started. Uh, and then also I was going through some wonderful personal discoveries of the of the depth of God's grace. The scriptures seemed to be coming alive to me. So I, I felt like I myself was experiencing that that God's love is that endless, his promise is that great, heaven is that wonderful, and Jesus really is on the thrown over the universe. And so I was kind of experiencing these things that I'd studied in seminary, but kind of more of a, you know, kind of a, you, you go to a foreign country and and you, you, the newness wears off pretty quickly. Culture shock kind of knocks you on your heels. And then you think, why am I here? Why am I here? Well, I'm here because I really believe a good God is in charge of the world and he wants everybody to know him. So that kind of came alive to me right there. 
and I, and and that was the really the core of the of the books that I wrote in in mm-hmm. Brazil. So you said a good God is in charge of the world, mm-hmm. and I want everyone to know Him. I think that's what you just yeah. said, and I feel like there's a lot of people right now that are would probably question that statement. I understand, and I think that they're feeling like, how can a good God be allowing all the things? Mm-hmm. That have happened in the world in the last eighteen months. Yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah, and and that's a tremendous segue into, <laughs> into the Esther story. I mean, uh, but it, it, the the chaos in the world, just the utter confusion that we're feeling, has really sucked the air out of our out of our generation. Uh, we're worried, we're weary, and we're worn out. It, 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 we're just worried. We're worried about what's next. We're weary from the political divide, the the struggle over um, everything from racism to sexism, and uh, and I think we're wounded. That mm-hmm. might be another W word mm-hmm. I'd throw in right there. We're we're wounded. Um, I my heart goes out to you, younger moms. You know, my my kids are grown now. It'd be a tough time, I think, right now to be answering these questions uh, for your for your children. I think one of the ways to answer these questions is to reach back in, into these stories in the Bible and um, realize that we've gone through tough times before. Mm. Societies have weathered storms before. One case a person can make for the existence of the Bible as a story as opposed to a list of rules, is that God wants us to see these stories. He wants us to see, yeah, the children of Israel got taken captive by the Egyptians, but look, I got them out. I, yeah, the, the Israelites were under attack by the Philistines, but look what I did with David and Goliath. You see, all these stories that are in the Bible. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus is placed in a tomb. The world seems dark as it's ever possibly been, but give him three days and watch the rocks rumble and the earth tumble and see what God can do. These stories are our go-to spot uh, in seeking the personality and the character of God. And and that's why I, I landed on the story of Esther during these during these difficult months, because I think Esther is a story of a, a global calamity, just a crisis that occurred that never had it looked so dark, had the world been so bleak uh, for the Hebrews as it was in five cents, fifth century BC Persia. Uh, but then God turned the story around. As you were writing this book, we were talking beforehand about just feeling like this is so significant for our time right now. What is it about the Esther story that you see this can infuse people with hope? Yeah. Can I, let me give a little context yes. for the Esther story. Okay. Uh, and I think a good way to approach Bible study is to uh, ask the question, what was the original intent of the narrator, the writer of this story? And it seems that a good way to answer that question is, the original narration or the original story was written to speak to those Jews who were in uh, exile in Persia to give them courage because they remain in exile 
you know, separated from their homeland until really 1948. Uh, and so the idea that God will speak to us when we feel cut off from our Jerusalem, our temple, our Torah, our roots, uh, is really the reason the book of Esther was written. It reveals to us truly the also kind of the quiet providence of God, because it's famous for being one of the two books in the Bible where the name of God does not appear, and yet the fingerprints of God are on every every paragraph. So those two big ideas, right? One is uh, historical and the other is kind of theological. So the the context is fifth uh, century BC Persia. We don't have any place in the world like Persia was then. It was just immense, immense. Take the United States and uh, double it, and you've kind of got uh, the landmass of Persia. Fifty percent of the population was Persian, and at the the king of Persia was this, at least from the perspective of the Book of Esther, a man by the name of Xerxes, who was more of a drinker than a thinker. He was a partier. He was a misogynist in the in the worst sense of the word of the word. He had harems upon harems of women. Uh, he was he was uh, rich beyond imagination, and he had a right hand man who was the famous anti semite of his day who decided that a Holocaust was in order to destroy this little fleck of people, not a large population, but a small portion of the population. He decided that the country would be better off without Jews. So imagine if you're Jewish. Imagine if you uh, are, are, are marginalized people in this huge country, and the most powerful man on the planet just agrees to have the whole nation wiped out. And he sets a date by the throwing of the dice on the day that that's going to happen. What a terrible story, you know? What a terrible story. It, it was like a pandemic, but a pandemic of hatred that had just fallen upon the people. And so this story, however, takes a turn because of two characters, both of whom are Jews, both of whom kept their Jewish ancestry a secret. Uh, one of whom worked in the oh, oh, equivalent of the Oval Office, worked in the throne room, his name Mordecai, and he had this beautiful cousin or niece. It's just a, kind of the play on words there, whether she was a, ne- a niece or a cousin. But she was drop-dead gorgeous, so beautiful that when the king decided he needed a new queen, which is another subplot in the story, when he decided he needed another queen, she won the Star Search Contest. Mordecai told Esther, Mordecai told his cousin, don't tell anybody you're of Jewish ancestry. So she did not. So really, though, though they deserve to be on the equivalent of, 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 of the Mount Rushmore of the Jewish people, the story is not real positive about them in the beginning because they, don't, they have blended into the culture. They are so Persian in identity, in language, in dress, in style, and culture that he can work for the king and she can sleep with the king and they never, no one knows that they're Jewish. But then comes the moment of truth. Then comes the moment that Haman demands that everybody bow down before him and Haman, that's just more than he can do. And he refuses to bow before the king. I don't want to tell the whole story here in case some of your readers are never have never read Esther, but just enough, just another tad, Detail or two. Am I talking too much? You're great. Okay. All right. So he he refuses to bow before the king. And so he repents publicly for keeping his ancestry a secret. 
He walks up and down the streets of Susa, the, the, the Persian capital, in sackcloth and ashes, weeping in loud voice. Here he is. He's, he's the relative of the king, I'm of the queen. And, and so everybody knows who he is. Nobody can figure out what he's doing. Esther, the queen, gets word of it. She sends a message to him telling him, get your act together. She even sends him clothing, says, change your clothing. We've got a good gig going on here. You're going to blow it. And that's when he sends a message to her and tells her about the Holocaust. Apparently, she was so cloistered, she didn't even know about it. He sends a message to her, and he says to her, relief will come. However, who knows, but you have been placed on the throne for such a time as this. That's where that powerful phrase comes from, and that's why we call the book, You Were Made for This Moment. So it turns out that his message to her and God's message to us, I believe, is that God is the one who places us in the generation in which we find ourselves, the situation, the nation, even the neighborhood in which we find ourselves. We're made for moments like this to respond with courage and faith. And so Esther did. She rallied. And she goes from the passive, quiet queen to really being the moral voice of a people. And because of her actions, uh, the Holocaust is reversed and the people are delivered. And to this day, the Jewish people celebrate every year in the Feast of Purim, what she and Mordecai did. It's such a beautiful story. And I think how it comes from such brokenness, yeah. how she's lost so much. And it's just like, we can read the story and be like, oh, like just the whole thing, how it all came about can kind of it's, you know, bothersome to us. Like here, this king has this contest to find the most beautiful woman. And yet God uses that brokenness to protect and ultimately redeem his people and rescue them. And it's, I just love that, how he uses, uses that and uses her. And in your book, you really talk about you know, these Mordecai moments and then just what it is to really stand up and take a stand for things. Can you just really tell us what does that look like practically for people who they're saying, you know, I, I want to do something with my life. I, I feel like there's more than just what I'm living for right now, but I don't, I don't even know how to take the first step. Mm. Mordecai moments. A Mordecai moment could be a moment in which Somebody's traveling. They're in a hotel room, been away from their spouse for seven nights, feel kind of lonely. They have a rental car. They're only 30 minutes away from a club that they would be ashamed for anybody to know they entered. So they have to take a stand. Mm -hmm. Am I going to stand up and honor the covenant that I made with my spouse? Or am I going to cave in to the temptation? Mordecai moment might be a moment in which um, a child of color comes into your classroom and you're a student along with that child. And for some reason, the rest of the class turns against, turns away, even ridicules that child. But you're the third grader, the fifth grader, the middle schooler who says, no, that person is made in, in God's image by the same God who made me, and you befriend that person. A Mordecai moment might be a moment in which everybody else on the sales force 
is padding their expense account. And you're new to the team. And they make it clear to you, this is kind of how we do things. You're going to do it too, right? But you know better. It's a Mordecai moment. And Mordecai moments are, are those moments in, in which we uh, have to, in the case of Mordecai, he, he took a literal stand, right? Uh, for most of us, it's not a physical stand. We won't stand against someone who's orchestrating a Holocaust. But we will stand against somebody who is uh, hurting people. And so we do take a stand for justice. We take a stand for covenants, for promises. Mordecai moments, they, they, they come our way. And boy, they're tough. I mean, doggone, they can be really, really tough. And you're interviewing somebody today who has not always done well on Mordecai moments. But I have learned that God blesses our courage. He will bless our courage. He blessed Mordecai's. He gave Mordecai. And for all Mordecai knew, Mordecai had every right to think he would be the first of the, Jew, of the Jews killed by Haman. But it turns out, oh, I don't want to give all the details of the story away. But it turns out that he was ultimately elevated to take Haman's place. My goodness. And it all began because he refused to bow before Haman. I love how in your book, you really talk about how the small choices can lead to big consequences and they can be good consequences or negative consequences. And I think, but every single day we have those little choices that we're choosing in one direction or the other. Are we going to take a stand for what is right? And that is where, you know, we're made for this moment. And I know that there are so many listening right now who I hear from them every day. They they want to do something right with their life. They they want to make a difference. They don't want to just go through life, kind of just go through the motions. But they're scared. It's hard. What encouragement would you have for someone who's feeling that way? In the book, I tell one of my favorite stories. Uh, when I was 12 years old, three neighbors in our neighborhood decided to all vacation together. And uh, they lived side by side by side. And they needed somebody to watch over their houses while they were gone. Uh, somebody to cut their grass, feed their pets, lock the doors, just watch over the houses. Again, I was 12 years old. So they reached out to me. said, would you do this? Well, I didn't want to. I had a little league to play, a bicycle to ride. I didn't want to mess up my summer. It was a summer gig. and uh, But my dad told me otherwise. He said, you're going to do it. <laughs> and so I didn't want to do it. Oh, I was so, that was a lot to manage. You know, next thing I knew, I'm over there with these three families making a list of everything that they, they want me to do. Uh, feed their pets, lock their houses, check on everything, cut the grass, edge the grass. One of them even had a goldfish. I'd never seen a goldfish before. What if I didn't feed that goldfish? It was just terrible. So I can recall the very first day riding over to uh, my first uh, unrequested job assignment, pedaling my bike. I got there, and uh, I was I was all nervous. I was worried I was going to mess up. And lo and behold, there parked in front of the center house was my dad's pickup truck. My dad was a mechanic in the oil field and he had come in from work early and he was already there. He had the 
lawnmower out in the driveway. And all he said to me is, you, you check on the pets and I'll start cutting the grass. And all of a sudden I realized I didn't have to face this challenge alone. I think that's the big message of Esther. If God gives you a challenge, you're not going to face it alone. You're really not. He's already gone ahead of you. He's already there waiting on you. He loves you too much. He doesn't play games with his children. He loves us. Now, he shapes us. He disciplines us. He stretches us. He challenges us. Um, But I believe that the big story of the Bible is that God is preparing a people for eternity, with whom he will reign on this earth forever. And he's preparing us. And all of this right now is, is boot camp. We're, we're being developed. Uh, we're being tested. And uh, these, these moments, like you just described, these little moments in which we say yes or no, or, or yes to God or no to God, these are his invitations to develop our trust, to strengthen ourselves. And whenever we wade into the challenges he gives us, whether it be adopting a child, whether it be moving to a foreign country, whether it be committing to raise funds for an orphanage, whatever it is, here's what I know. You will never go where God is not already there. He's there waiting on you. And if he places the burden on your heart, he'll place the strength in your character. And that's just, that's just how he works. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for writing this book, for sharing this story. I loved how you brought a lot of things to life in this book that I had never thought of. And I've read the story of Esther many times. So whether you've read the story of Esther many times, whether you have never touched your Bible or a Bible in your life, if you need some encouragement in this season where life is hard, a lot of confusion, a lot of unrest, There's like you talked about the worry and the weariness and wounded, and there's just a lot that we're carrying. This book by Max Lucado, You Were Made for This Moment, Courage for Today and Hope for Tomorrow will be a real encouragement to you. As always, if you have any question on any topic you'd love for Jesse and I to answer on a future episode or you just have feedback or suggestions, or you'd love for us to change something or do something different. We love to hear from you. We love your emails. And so you can send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Crystal Pain Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.